Amen. Amen. We are talking about church walls. We've talked about tribes and how tribes can often define us and separate us, whether it be our family lineage, whether it be our nationality, our political affiliation. But inside the church, on this side of the cross, there are no walls. So it is one church, one God, one Savior, Jesus Christ, one Holy Spirit, one baptism, and it's all for the glory of God. And we don't want any hidden things and schisms in us that would do that. And we did. We talked about schisms and how we can have denominational preferences and we can have pastoral preaching preferences and, and all these other little preferences that sometimes divide us from working with other like-minded believers and how those things we've got to let go and, and focus on the unity in Christ. But there is a time to separate for a doctrine and then there's a time yet to understand there's just one church. And today, I want to talk to you about works. Works. We're talking about works or legalism. And uh, the last, every other month or every, sorry, every other week, I go to our Celebrate Recovery and check in and encourage them and, and see how they're doing. And we were talking this week as we deal with people who are coming off of alcoholism or drugs or, or just life trauma and how to live a healthy life, a successful life, and give their life fully over to Jesus Christ. And one of the things we challenged them this week was to understand that just because you stop doing drugs, or just because you stop drinking and getting drunk, or just because you stop doing some other behaviors or stop wrong thinking, uh, that's not really what makes us separate from anywhere else. What makes our recovery in Christ different is that Christ has to do it through us. And it's not us and our works, and we can stop doing drugs and stop having sex outside of marriage and, and stop thinking wrongly, but that will only get you so far because most of the people who do it by their own power and do it by their own efforts eventually go back into that bad behavior. And that's why we're different, and that's why the church is different. And so I want to talk to you this morning about how can you be sure you're pleasing God? How can you live a truly victorious life? And how do you know if something you're doing or someone is holy or pleasing to God? And do I join a church to please God? Is it that I tithe? Is it that I stop drinking or cursing? And how do I know if I'm living a life that's pleasing to God? How do I know if I'm living a victorious life? But I want to talk to you about what it might mean that we might have legalistic tendencies. And even the newest of Christians can be a legalist. Uh, there are a diversity of Christian traditions in every denomination, every church. Many of you grew up. Uh, I grew up in a church uh, just on the Arkansas-Louisiana border. It was a bad thing to go to the roller rink. And it was a bad thing to go to the movies. How many people grew up like me? You know, uh, We grew up with those church traditions. And, and that's not good or bad. I'm just telling you how it is. Every church, even in different denominations, are going to have differences. You go to any continent, they're going to have different cultural standards of behavior. And, and again, that's not wrong, but let me give you some common American church rules. And you can think if you've experienced any of these before. Maybe just expectations. You go to church. Uh, we have expectations in the South, and, and common American is uh, no drinking. Some of us grew up not being able to play cards or dancing was a bad thing. Some of y'all are in the footloose generation. Y'all are a bunch of rebels. But uh, going to the movies, listening to secular music. Uh, some of us maybe grew up where you couldn't wear shorts uh, for men or maybe couldn't wear pants for women. Uh, getting earrings, tattoos, maybe it's long hair versus short hair. Other traditions might be that I believe a pastor should wear a suit and tie. So I've worn a jacket for you this morning just for some of you. 
uh, who might have grown up that way. I don't normally wear a suit and tie. Uh, I, I, uh, my church, when I first started uh, up in Missouri, the pastor said that when he first started, on Wednesday nights, he had to wear a suit and tie, even on Wednesdays. That was the tradition, the culture of the church. Again, not wrong. Some of us grew up in traditions of Sunday school was better than small groups or vice versa. Some of us believe in pews versus chairs. Somebody say amen about our comfy chairs. Uh, and uh, some of us grew up in traditions of hymns versus contemporary music. There's all kinds of traditions and preferences. There's all kinds of unspoken rules. And many of those things, when you go into a church, probably weren't written on the wall. But as you got into that church, you kind of had this expectation or you felt some pressure, or you just knew that's the way it was because everybody else did it that way, and, and maybe even somebody was bold enough to speak to you about your going to the movie habit or your, uh, your playing cards habit or whatever. But it's the same, though, with every legalistic culture. You're going to find some discrepancies, perhaps like this. Uh, somebody might watch a rated R movie uh, inside their home, but they would totally fire me if we watched a rated R movie on the pulpit or on the screen in the church. But who's the church, right? See how the discrepancy is. We, could, we can do things at our home, but we may not be wanting to do them at the church. We could decorate our home with all kinds of demonic Halloween stuff, right? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but we would totally have a, a Facebook post about the church that put all that stuff on their building. Again, Legalism often finds discrepancies or hypocritical things. Uh, we can say things to our coworkers we wouldn't dare speak in the fellowship hall. Now it's getting quiet, right? We can, we can talk about certain things at, in certain secret rooms, but we wouldn't dare speak it in the hallways of the church. Those are hypocrisies. Those are legalistic tendencies. And legalism is simply a strict conformity to a religious moral code, and in fact, it's adding preferences to doctrine. It's not really what the Bible says, but it's adding things to it, and the way it works is this. In the day of Jesus, there were these people called Pharisees, experts of the law, teachers of the law. They were the most revivalistic, back-to-the-Bible, praying men of God, memorizing Scripture, fasting. But one of the ways they were dealing with a culture of uh, promiscuity, of idolatry, of people who were falling into all kinds of pagan ideals. And so they said, we want to protect people from disobeying the word of God. So let's make all these tradition and these rules, this fence around the law that is going to keep people so far away from disobeying God that they won't accidentally disobey him, right? And in time, those traditions and rules became even greater than the law of God itself, the moral codes of God. They say, well, we won't want you to do this, so here's what you can do on Sundays. Here's how you can dress. Here's how you can talk. Here's the things you can do. And they would put a wall around the law of God. But the unfortunate side effect of legalism is often negativity when there's not conformity. Somebody doesn't fit into the mold, and legalists can easily use the, their rules as weapons against somebody. It begins to divide the church. It begins to separate new believers from the older saints of God. It, it can even pass judgment and divide the church. And perhaps you've ever been in a context before, and you wonder, why in the world are Christians so mean? Right? Is that not true? That should be the, we should never be able to ask that question. But why in the world are Christians so mean? So I'll give you some things. I've done some research. And here's this. Uh, you might be a legalist if, are you ready? You might be a legalist if you feel God loves you more when you behave. Number two, you might be a legalist if you tithe to the penny 
And if you get it wrong at the end of the year, you're worried if God is not going to bless you. You might be a legalist if you miss a Sunday service and feel guilty. I'm going to forget that one. I like that one, right? I want you to feel guilty if you miss. No, not really. But you might be a legalist if you feel like I miss church and I might have a bad week. Something bad, the sky might fall, anvil land on my car or something. Uh, You might be a legalist if you repent and ask God to forgive you of a sin, but you still carry the guilt and the weight. How many people we know grew up in a, a, a church setting like that? You might be a legalist if you've had several conversion experiences, but you still doubt if you're saved. You might be a legalist if you feel unlucky or cursed if you miss your Bible reading or prayer. You might be a legalist if you attend a church that is often making you feel guilty or condemned and you leave the feeling the same way. You might be a legalist if you think serving God is hard work or oppressive. You might be a legalist if you attend a church where everyone looks and thinks the same. There's diversity in the church. You might be a legalist if you try and you try to stop a sin habit, but you continually fail. I like the last one. What power do you have in your life for victory over sin? You know, the problem is Jesus' harshest teachings were against legalism, and it's those who felt in a day of compromise they needed to add these works and standards to feel good enough. But the problem is legalism creates a wall between God and man, and it creates a wall between men and men. But Jesus broke down the dividing wall on the cross. There is no longer any separation between the repentant sinner and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there is no more walls of division between men of God and women of God who are sincerely passionate about living in His Spirit. Amen? So think of it. How many church splits have you seen? How many broken relationships have we uh, know about, about people who think they're protecting God's law? How many people in the world, in America today, are sitting in pews with no passion or love or joy in their life? How many people are worshiping out of rote, mechanical tradition, uh, feeling that their salvation depends on this set list of rules that they adhere to? Many of those rules not even in Scripture, by the way. How many lost people feel they cannot come into a church because I cannot live up to the standards that that church has set before I get into God? Do you, you hear that all the time? I need to get my life right, then I'll go into that church. But that's not the gospel message. That's not our message. Because we believe that Christ alone provides the right standing and transformed living. And if Christ really makes us righteous... We don't need any other standards or rules but Him and His life. He alone is our example, and He's broken down the dividing wall. Look at me in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. I'm reading in the New Living this morning. I'm going to give you a, a brief rundown on what Paul has to say in our modern context. So Jesus had faced those religious fence-building Pharisees, and Paul, the same way, has dealing with their predecessors, their, the people behind them. He, he is dealing with people called Judaizers, people who are Jewish Christians who are feeling like to these Gentiles, they're saying basically this, guys, I know you're saved. I know you have the Holy Spirit. I know you've got Jesus. But to be sure of your salvation, to be sure you are pleasing God, you really need to follow X, Y, and Z. The number one for them at that time was circumcision to please God. You really need to follow these ceremonial laws. You need to really make sure you got this code of standard behavior, and that's how you'll really know you're pleasing God. Does that not sound familiar in any 
church tradition today. Uh, and Paul gives a sharp, glaring rebuke in the book of Galatians. And let's look at what he says uh, to them in Galatians 2, verse 16. He says, Yet we know a person is made right or justified with God by, everybody say, faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, not obeying the law. That's the ceremonial religious law. The moral law, there's two laws in the Old Testament. There's the moral law, like don't hate and love your neighbor and, and do good to others and care for the widows and the poor. There's the moral law, the character law. There's also the ceremonial law, the ritualistic traditions. And that's what he's saying. He's saying faith in Jesus is not by obeying that law. We have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right or justified with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ Jesus, and we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner, get this, if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. I am a sinner if I add anything built up that Christ has torn down. I'm a sinner if I add anything to the cross of Christ. He says, but when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. I couldn't live up to it. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. And he says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So it's not Paul trying to live up to expectations, but Christ lives in me. So this life I live in this earthly body, I live by faith, which is trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if the keeping of the law could make us right or justify us with God, there was no need for Christ to die. If you could get to heaven because you stopped drinking, cussing, started tithing, changed your dress code, changed your profanity, if that's what could get you to heaven, Christ need not have come to die. It wasn't, he's saying, guys, it was the grace of God that sent Jesus Christ down to do a good work for me on the cross. And it is my faith in his work alone that saves me, not my obedience to a set tradition or system of requirements. He says the law revealed that I was incapable of being perfect. I'm incapable of never thinking a bad thought. I'm incapable of being good enough. But when the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men, Paul says, it moved me in such a way, and the Holy Spirit was given to me. And what he's saying to these, these Galatians is what they were doing is saying, What's a few, what is the harm of a few rules in Christianity? You can say, Pastor, you, don't, we, you know, we all believe that we, you, know, you shouldn't drink. And I can understand that, and I believe that. I, I have made a vow where I don't drink, and that's between me and God and me and the, the people who uh, gave me my ordination. But what he's, and we're thinking, but Pastor, shouldn't there be a rule about not watching pornography? And we could say, well, that's a good rule. That, that should just be a common sense rule. And we could start listing a thousand rules that we should all probably live up to, and that would be a good rule. But guess what? You're all going to break them. I'm going to break them. We're going to fall short of them. And, and we're not going to live up to them perfectly. And we could say, well, don't we feel more saved? Maybe you've thought this before. Do you feel more saved if you stop drinking? Do you feel more saved if you've turned off secular music? 
Do you feel more saved if you got baptized or became a church member? Do you feel more saved if you're tithing? You're like, oh, I'm doing a good job because I'm tithing. Or I'm, I'm doing a good job because I'm dressing differently. Or I'm doing a good job because I know how to speak in tongues. Or I've got that gift. Or I'm doing good because I joined the worship team. Or I feel like I'm really pleasing God because I'm volunteering in my church. Those are all rules. Those are all legalistic things. And are we more confident in our salvation if we're doing those things? Because let me tell you, we do. We are. We feel pretty good about ourselves if we start getting our lives right, we start acting better, we start dressing better, we start talking better, we start doing, and all those are good things. But has it anything to do with your salvation? Does it have anything to do with pleasing God? And what Paul says, he says, if you add anything to Christ, you are dividing the church, and some Christians are going to think they're more holy than other Christians. They're going to think because they got it all together, those people who are still struggling, they're, they're on another level. They hadn't, they hadn't matured. They hadn't got it all right. And maybe they need to do some things where God can really, you know, use them, right? And, and, and some of that's good. We can make sense of that. If they've got an addiction problem, I probably won't put you over the recovery ministry. That makes sense, right? There are some things that are good rules, but Paul is talking about salvation here and pleasing God. He's saying, if you add anything to Christ's work, it's a false gospel. How many false gospels have you heard in your life? Paul's saying this gospel is so important. If you do this and you add anything to this gospel, that person who preaches it will be accursed. Woo. If He says, if anything that is not Christ alone is going to threaten the body of Christ. In Galatians 2 and 5, it's going to distort the truth of the gospel. And so what he's doing, he's saying, guys, keep it simple. Keep the gospel simple. The law revealed sin. But it was powerless to change the heart. It was powerless to change the lust issues and the pride issues and the hatred issues and the jealousy issues. It was powerless to do those things. But because Christ has come, He has given the Holy Spirit to those who will believe by faith and repent. Those who will receive Him and believe it. His work was enough. Now you have to understand the context of this is this. No one in Judaism received the Holy Spirit except for elect men of God, and the Holy Spirit was hidden behind a veil in the temple, and only one man a year could go in, and that was under fear of death under the cover of the blood. And he's saying, but that same Holy Spirit has been freely poured out to a bunch of misfits messed up people, broken, Gentile, pagan, people thought no good. And you can't tell me if God says that hidden, captivated, Holy Spirit, jewel, prize, possession kind of spirit has now been poured out into a bunch of roughnecks that God is not pleased with that person. He's saying if they have the Holy Spirit, God is pleased with him because he wouldn't give the Holy Spirit to somebody he wasn't pleased with. Because the Holy Spirit can't be around somebody that is, that is uh, away from God or in under sin or been bought by sin. He's saying, but a person who is covered by the blood of Jesus has received the Holy Spirit. And that is proof that Christ's work works. That his work on the cross is good enough to cover all their sin. He says, guys, it is the Spirit that is proof in your life that you are pleasing unto God. God. And he says, well, how did you hear the Spirit? 
Was it by doing a bunch of good things? Or was it because you simply believed in the cross of Jesus Christ by faith? You believed in the cross by faith, and God gave you the Holy Spirit. So he says, don't go back to living for a bunch of rules. Go now forward into living through the power of the Holy Spirit. Go now forward into maturity to hearing the Spirit's voice, feeling His impression in your heart, letting His love lead you and guide you, listening to what He has to say about where you are with God, and follow Him. It's easy to follow a checklist. It's easy to fail a checklist. But how much harder is it? See, some people are worried, like, well, Pastor, he, if we don't give people some rules, how will they know what to do or not? Here's what I'm believing. If you grow up in Jesus Christ, you have a Holy Spirit inside of you. He tells you what to do. Not Pastor Heath, not my list of rules. You need to be mature in Jesus Christ because what we've produced in America is a bunch of weak Christians who have to rely on a pastor or denominational preference or a list of church membership requirements to know if they're saved or not. But let me tell you something. You have the very presence of Almighty God living inside of you. That means you please God. And He's going to tell you what to do. So we don't follow. It's not that the rules are bad. It's that they're not good enough. Rules are good. I tell my daughter all the time, you need to brush your teeth before bed. That's a good rule. But it's not the rule that I'm doing this for. It's because I want her to live healthy and clean teeth. I don't want to pay a dental bill, right? So, but it's that you have to take ownership of the why. And I need the ability of the how through the power of the Holy Spirit to live that out. So I'm not looking at outward measures. Paul says, I don't care what you judge me by. I'm being judged by God himself. So let me give you this. How do you live right? How do you live right? I'm going to give you three things and we're going to pray. Number one, because I can't add to Christ, how do I know how to live right? What are some principles I can live by? Number one is this, let go of the law. Number one, let go of the religious law of works. Paul says everything is now permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Some traditions are good, but here's what you've got to do. You've got to realize, number one, that you can't earn God's holiness. You've got to realize that tradition is just outer rules that leave you in bondage so many times. But God's truth by the Spirit is not outer rules. It's inward principles for holy living. Realize that those who put on man-made traditions above the Word of God, you'll find out that those people eventually lose the Word of God in their hearts, no matter how devout they appear. You can look like a whitewashed tomb on the outside, Jesus said, but you're really a dead person on the inside. You can get all the outer stuff done. You can stop drinking and cussing and smoking and still be filled with pride, of jealousy, of hatred, and lust. It's the outer stuff. He says, following that stuff, you'll find a person is powerless to do the right thing. But inner holiness is just not about what you're separating yourself from. That's the easy things. It's what you're separating yourself to. I'm, I'm not just getting away from bad behavior. I'm going for good behavior. I'm getting the Holy Spirit in my heart to do good things, not just stop doing wrong things. Are you with me this morning? Realize no matter what traditions you follow, you're no better than any other believer in Jesus Christ. As soon as a person confesses Jesus Christ, God says they're holy enough to be raptured and go into glory. They're saved enough to have the Holy Spirit. Who am I to judge? 
Realize it doesn't matter what religious rules you follow, but whether your heart, Paul says, has been transformed into a new creation. Have you really been born again? Nobody can tell you that but you. I could look at you and I only can see the outside. I can only see what your Facebook posts look like, okay? I can tell. Some of y'all need to work on that area, right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm joking. Not really. But some of you need to work. We have outside things. I can only judge you by the outside things. But God looks at the heart. He knows what you're secretly thinking about your sister or mother-in-law. He knows those things. Even if you can keep your mouth shut at the dinner table, he knows you thought it. He knows you didn't have patience. He knows you were jealousy. He knows you were anger. He knows you're holding grudges. So the issue is, are you a new creation born by the Spirit? Holy living is from within and not from without. Somebody say amen. amen. Number one, let go of the law. That means number two, you need to get and give grace. Get it and then give it. Some of us grew up in a motivation of guilt. And guilt works for a season, but grace is a better way. Grace is a better way. And again, so many people are worried about, oh, but Pastor, what about hyper grace? What about hyper grace? That's a false teaching too. But when we talk about grace, we are understanding that grace produces right living. And so very few, and again, I'm talking with people coming off of drugs and alcohol, and they're just so concerned about stopping to do drugs, stopping to, to do these bad behaviors. If I could just stop it, then my life will be okay. And that is sorely wrong. And that's how we present church so many times. If you could just stop doing those things. But, and we wonder, don't we need those rules? But the Jews are boasting in how good they are at religious works. But Paul is boasting about the grace of God, this undeserved favor that came to him. And I love what he says in Titus 3. He, he says to his, one of his sons in the faith, he says, uh, guys, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And then he washed away our sins. He gave us the new birth, this new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out this spirit upon us because of Christ. And it's because of his grace he's made us right again. And it's this confidence that we'll know we'll have eternal life. And I know that I'm saved. I feel the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, he says, and this is a trustworthy saying. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. And I want you to insist on teaching this. He says, all who trust or have faith in God will devote themselves to doing good. People who really have faith will do the right things according to the Spirit who lives within them. And what does that mean? Is that grace... Uh, I see grace and I see the law. Uh, the law is good news. But if I don't understand the bad news of how I'm a sinner, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. I need the law. I see that. That law tells me how desperately broken my life is and how horrible of a sinner I am apart from the wondrous grace of God. And I look at grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that would save a wretch like me. And I know now that I am found in him. And so this good news comes inside of me. It produces an awakening of the spirit, a life of worship unto God. And now I can sing for joy how great he is, right? It's, a, it's an amazing thing. It's an, a new awakening in my life that comes by grace. So I'm, it's not that Christianity is this hard set of rules anymore. 
It's a joyful living. You understand this morning? It's not this burdensome, oh my gosh, I've got to really work on myself. It's so hard. If I could just work, Lord, help me to do better this week. You can't do better. Lord, help me to stop doing this. You can't stop doing this. Stop trying. Give up. Throw yourself at the mercy of the grace of God and say, Lord, I am hopeless. I am helpless. I can't do anything except through grace. And if I can just recognize the depravity of my wretched soul and just throw myself down and say, Lord, I can't even, like we post on Facebook, can't even go to Walmart without the Holy Spirit. Like, I can't even go through this day, Lord. I am incapable of right thinking and right feeling and right living. And I'm desperate for the Holy Spirit's power. And grace is sufficient for our weakness, Paul would say. And if I've been given that much measure of grace, how much grace should I give people around me? Religiosity will make you boast in yourself. You'll feel pretty good. Yep, paid my tithe. And added a dollar this morning. I, 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 I can boast. You know, I, I served three times this month on the usher team. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I can feel good about myself. And I can say, well, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. But grace is at this place of, Lord, I am nothing without you. I'm nothing. And because I know I'm nothing and he is my everything, I can just lavish love on other people and say, yeah, buddy, I'm an equal sinner like you. I thank God that you're here. I love you. Welcome into my church. I'm going to bless you and exalt you and encourage you in Jesus Christ to be all he's called you to be. Amen. Amen. And lastly is this. Demonstrate faith. Demonstrate faith. Paul's chief message to his church is this, that you are made right with God by faith. That is the central doctrine to Christianity. You are justified, made right with God by faith in the work of the cross of Christ. Religious rules don't require any faith to follow. But a relationship with the Holy Spirit means you've got to trust Him every day i got to walk by faith and hear his voice every day. If I'm just following a checklist, that's pretty easy. I don't, mean, I don't need any faith to follow a checklist. But every day I've got to have faith to hear his voice. i got to have faith to trust that he's telling me to do the right things. I have to have faith to please God. And so many people want an easy Christianity based on rules and traditions and legalism. Because it's this thing. This outer works are easy. It's so much more of a maturity to say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? Holy Spirit, change my attitude. Holy Spirit, do these things into me. Holy Spirit, show me how to live. But when you have faith, and when Paul says faith, he's not talking about just a simple, I believe there's a Jesus who died on the cross. Even the, believe, even the demons believe that, and they tremble, he says. Even, even the demons believe there is a God. Even the demons believe there was a cross on Christ. Even, even the demons know there was an empty tomb. But they don't have faith. Faith is active. It's not passive. Faith is life transforming. It says, I will test this word out with my whole life. I heard a pastor use this illustration to say, do you believe this stool, this chair can hold me up? Do you believe it can? You could say, well, yeah, I think it does. Demons believe that. But you've got to put your faith on it and say, yes, I trust it to hold me. And that's what you do with the word of God. You say, I trust this word to hold my life up. 
I give everything I am and go into total dependency on the Word of God of Jesus Christ. I believe it's the only way to write living and thinking. I believe it's the only way to an eternity ever after. And so I'll sell all my possessions and earthly things to find a hidden treasure in Jesus Christ. It's worth giving up everything for. That's faith. That's faith. It means each day I'm relying on God. I'm relying on His Word. I'm, each day I'm relying on Christ's work. Each day I'm relying on the Spirit more than my knowledge, my efforts, my understanding, and my ability. And if you are walking by faith, you will please God. You will please God. How are you demonstrating faith today? How are you depending on the Holy Spirit to please God. Or maybe you've substituted some man-made rules for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe today you're serving out of guilt or logic. The only proof you need today is the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. I want to invite our worship team to come. I want you to think about those things. Are there any hidden things in your life, any areas of legalism, Maybe you've been motivated by guilt for so many years. Maybe you're having a sense, I don't know if God is pleased with me when I don't live up to this standard. And you're recognizing today, I've not been living by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's some fear in my life if God doesn't like me. There's some fear in my life that I might go to hell. I don't know if I'm going to go to hell or not. I have fear in my life. I don't know if God is going to beat me over the head with a stick because I didn't do all that I think I was supposed to do. There's fear in my life. And maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe today you just have utter questions and there's so many questions. You're like, if I died today, would I be in paradise? Would I be with Jesus? Would I go to heaven today? I want you to know the answer to that question before we leave this room. Or maybe you can say, you know, Pastor Heath, I'm saved. I'm, I know the Holy Spirit is in me. And I know I'm saved, I'm pleasing God, but there are these other things I've been measuring. I've been trusting in my own ability to do right. Maybe there's a sin issue in your life, and you've been trying to break it. Right thinking or right doing, or maybe it's right feeling. You've been trying to get over depression. You've been trying to get over grief. You've been trying to get over a habit. You've been trying to get over a thought pattern. And you can't do it because the rules haven't been working. The, The checklist of reading and praying and all that hasn't been working, it's coming back to a simple saying. It's that I am nothing without Jesus. I lay my life down and I only trust in His way of feeling, His way of thinking, His way of doing. The Holy Spirit, welcome in my heart this morning. And I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads right where you are and just all of us just to begin to pray a prayer along those lines.